Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 21 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. I am recording this on Pi Day, Saturday, March 14th, 2020, and I'm not going to lie to you. I am moving slow. Last week was absolutely absurd. Um, yeah, I'll get into it a little bit. Why not? We've had, got some awesome things rocking and rolling at Filtera that's causing a lot of craziness over there. Uh, we, we, we launched Spy House like a month ago, and we found some new distributor partners, and we're looking between Spy House and uh, our other roaster partners and some new accounts that we picked up this week that we're going to be looking at possibly tripling, possibly quadrupling our volume this summer versus last year. That's cool. Oh, what does that do for insurance purposes? Because that's a thing I had to find out. I had to redo our insurance and get that documentation. Anyway. This episode is going to be about a topic near and dear to my heart. It is something that I get very excited about, and I absolutely love going down the rabbit hole of thought experiments. Jeff would know this because I <laughs> I throw all these thought experiments at him pretty much every day to the point where I don't know if he thinks they're fun or if he thinks I need to shut up and just focus. Today's topic for the podcast is small business marketing. And I was going to have it just be marketing, but I think that's too broad, obviously, of a topic for like a one-hour podcast. So I'm going to try to focus in as much on small business marketing. And what I define that as is a business that is more of a self-started business, one that is not like a massively funded, you don't have a deep bank account, you don't have like all these big strategic partners, you're not able to go out and hire a PR company, you're not able to go out and hire a marketing company to take care of all the brand awareness, brand equity, uh, channels to be able to advertise and reach your target demographic and who is our uh, who is the Folly Coffee Drinker? Uh, who is this person that we're trying to reach and really get in their mind space and find what they're doing on a daily basis? Ironically, that is kind of how I think about it, but I love marketing pitches like that where they find the one person, this is the Folly Coffee Drinker. And I'm like, that's not really how it works. A lot of different types of people drink it. It's just people like, like good, good coffee. Anyway, so this is for those small businesses. Uh, non-funded, like you got to scrap and you can't just throw money at everything to see how it works. And the reason that's important, because I think that's what a lot of uh, larger, more funded businesses do is they're able to put money in different advertising channels and then be like, this worked, this didn't, this worked, this didn't. Whereas if you're small, every dollar you spend is a very, very important decision because when you're kind of on a, a bootstrapped budget and you're using really only your own personal funds, uh, the revenue that you're bringing as a business, every dollar is really important on how you invest it. And so the first thing about small business marketing is to decide if you should be spending the, mar uh, the money on marketing at this point. And the way to make that decision is if you're ready for growth. If your business is at a point where you're ready for growth, marketing 
is when you should be spending dollars. And by ready for growth, I mean you have the infrastructure in place that should your marketing plan be effective and successful, that you're not putting yourself under too much duress to be able to not execute against what you're marketing about. And so what that meant for Folly Coffee is I wasn't going out and doing any sort of marketing or events or trying to push the product until we were ready to launch. Now, fortunately, as you've heard in previous podcast podcast episodes, uh, we have a commercial size roaster. And so we're poised for growth. But one mistake you can make in marketing is marketing too soon. And you actually do have to protect yourself against successful marketing campaigns. So before you consider any sort of marketing channel, marketing campaign, think of the absolute best case scenario. If we knock it out of the park with this marketing campaign, what does that look like for us? And then are we able to match the demand or be able to keep up with that success effectively? Because too much growth too soon can also be a big problem. And so I find in business, when I talk to a lot of small business owners, they think marketing is the answer. And, and so let's say you're at the point, right? You're, you're small business, you're poised for growth. So I'm just going to obviously use Folly Coffee as an example because that is what I did. And so I'm looking at the business going, okay, we have a commercial size roaster. We can spit out like literally hundreds of times of volume of what we're doing when we launched. So I'm not concerned about keeping up with that. So then the next step is like, okay, should I go out and market? And I think because social media and we're in a digital age, a lot of business owners think that marketing is the first step. Okay. I've, I'm, I, I've got a product to sell. I need to go out and market it. And this is true to an extent if you're an e-commerce only business, uh, marketing kind of is uh, the first thing to do there. But I think often the first answer that people want to skip over and just skip right to marketing is sales. And these have kind of become one and the same. There's this term smarketing, that it's sales and marketing. And when you're a small business owner, you kind of have to do everything. But the first step is usually sales. You need to go out and find customers. And even in the case of e-commerce, someone that's an online-only business, which is becoming a more and more common platform, goes, well, I'm online-only, so I don't I don't need to go out and find my customers. I need to go out and market. And then that they'll see the ads. They'll see it. And it's like, you know, it's true to an extent. But we are at such a point of saturation in social media, in digital advertising, and that even if you can make your ad super, super targeted to a specific type of person, unless you have a product that is incredibly visually compelling or such a new product that's unheard of that it will absolutely compel people to click on your ad, which that that's a thing. And if that's the biggest strength of what you're selling, good on you. But most of the time, it's not the case, especially if you are like food beverage focused, like coffee, or if you are a product that exists and you're focusing on your branding or your approach to business. A lot of the times, advertising is not going to be the best way to do it. And so even if you have an online only business, finding customers is important because the most valuable type of marketing. And this is far and away true for any size company. 
the most valuable type of marketing is word of mouth. When you are a small business, and I'm gonna, I want to repeat this because this is incredibly important and this guides every decision I make in our style of marketing, is word of mouth. Because people are far, far more likely to buy a product if someone told them they should buy it organically. That person not getting paid, they're not getting sponsored, they're not an employee, they just because they like the product, go to someone else and say, hey, you got to try this thing out. You got to try this coffee out. You got to try this out. You got to try that out. That's the type of marketing you need to generate. And quite frankly, you are not going to generate that with an online ad unless it's something like it's such a funny ad or it's such a compelling ad or it's so cool and different that people generate word of mouth. And Dollar Shave Club is your classic example of that style of marketing. They are an only online-only business. They are far and away the biggest success story in that style where they generated word of mouth from a purely online marketing campaign, I highly encourage you to look up the video that he did. Uh, I think he spent like under five grand total for the video. And I just paused for a second because I had to look it up. Thing has 26 million views. It's a minute 33 long. And it's just the founder of Dollar Shave Club being like, our blades are freaking awesome. And so the whole video is just like really funny and so different than traditional, uh, like traditional razor blade commercials every razor blade we have 18 blades with smooth finish this and that and it's just like everything's kind of the same and then this guy comes along with a marketing video that is so different and funny that people are sharing it that might not even be buying the product but i'm gonna rewind and say i think he spent under five grand which for a huge business like that is what it is now, five grand is a, a grain of rice in the grand scheme of things. But when you're a small business and you're self-started, that amount of money is still a lot. And so even being able to do something simple like that is a lot of money for someone who's starting a small business, a self-started, self-started, self-funded business. And so the first step needs to be finding customers and generating word of mouth. And so finding customers through sales. And so for Folly, it was finding wholesale customers, our grocery stores. And then the challenge is how to reach the end consumer. So the challenge for us was we really have no marketing dollars. And I start, my initial thought was to go look at traditional print or just traditional media in general. I go, I need to get... The, the brand, the name in front of as many people as possible. Um, I'm going to go reach out to all the local magazines, all the local newspapers. I'm going to reach out to all these really cool influencers that have 50,000 plus followers here locally in the Twin Cities and really get the, get the word out there. And I, I knew it wouldn't be cheap, but the rates you get back are pretty crazy for a small business. Um, and I'm not talking like full page, beautiful spreads. I'm talking like a quarter of a page in a magazine or a newspaper on not a great part of it. So you're not on the cover in the corner. You're on like the 18th page in a quarter thing. And it's not to say that's not a good thing to do. But the way I thought about it is if I'm reading this magazine 
am I stopping to read through every single one of these ads? I'm probably not. And so I'm like, yeah, the distribution is really good. <clears throat> but how many of those people are actually going to stop and see your brand and want to go to the website or want to learn more about it? And traditional media is doing a good job at pivoting more heavily into digital. And this is more compelling to me than like traditional print and getting like a quarter page ad is if a part of that package deal, you can get some sort of digital tie-in or some sort of promotion that way. But even looking and reaching out to local influencers about potential like paid partnerships, uh, it that gets expensive too. Like, again, not a huge sum of money, but when you're talking about hundreds of dollars for a single post, and it reaches it reaches all their followers, but I've got this weird like I can't find any like real research on it on the tipping point of when Instagram followers only follow an account because they have followers. It's a weird thing. So I noticed it with Folly when our Instagram growth was I was like grinding away at building our growth, and then once we hit a thousand, it started growing faster, and then once we hit like ten thousand, then it's just like it grew even more. And but our engagement didn't really go up at a certain point, and I'm like, why is that? I go, oh, at a certain point, it's almost like you follow an account because it has followers. You don't actually go into the content and go, do I like this content? Is every post what I want to be following? Is this what I want to be interacting with? Something pops up. You might like one thing you see and then go to the account and be like, oh, they have a lot of followers. Maybe that means I should follow it too. And so some of these accounts that I was interacting with and getting these quotes on, they've got a great following, but maybe the engagement isn't as high proportionally or from a percentage of their followers as somebody with a smaller following is. So on that side, what we did when we launched, uh, I'm really fascinated by micro-influencers. And what I mean by micro-influencers is typically people with anywhere from one to like 9,999 followers. I keep it under 10,000 is what I mean by that. Uh, typically these accounts have a much higher engagement because when you have under 10,000 followers, it's much, much easier to be engaged with your followers. It's easier that every comment you receive, you can respond to that. You're following back people that they are like, you're listening to what people want to see. Your stories are uh, higher viewed because it's just like not as overwhelming. And so what I did with Folly when we launched is, I go, uh, I kind of separated marketing into different channels. And so I'm going to try to make this episode a little bit more concrete beginning right now at minute 15. So moving forward, I'm going to talk about digital marketing. I'm going to talk about word of mouth marketing and how I think is the most effective way to generate word of mouth. And then the last point is like, when is more traditional marketing a good idea? And when should you get into that? So part one of the more concrete, formal part of this episode, digital marketing. So the ways I look at digital marketing, the ones that I think are the biggest players are Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok is coming onto the scene, and then there's email. And so 
I was looking at these different channels and too often I think people go, we need to do everything all the time. And if you're a big company, this is true. You should have a presence on all of these platforms. But when you're a small business, and that's what I'm talking about today, you're probably doing this yourself. And it is easy when you're really small and just starting and don't have a lot of customers or don't have, and you have a lot of downtime. Well, not really downtime, but you don't have urgent pressing matters all the time like I do at this point in my life. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so... When we were really small, it's easy to keep up on all of these different channels and you can think about it more and you can be more cognizant of the pictures you're taking and the way you're interacting and how often you're posting on each of these. But I highly recommend, if you are a small business, on social media platforms, choose one that is best for you. And I can't really tell you which one is best. Sometimes the answer is, which social media platform am I most familiar with? Uh, for Folly, I chose Instagram. And the reason is, is that our packaging is very visually compelling. The growth of Instagram, especially back in 2017 and moving forward, was extremely compelling. And it's a very, very easy way to engage with customers on a daily basis. And so I knew that being able to do pictures and videos and stories would be a really effective way at connecting with customers and being able to get our brand identity and everything that we're all about of roasting really high-end, single-origin quality coffee across in a very approachable way. And so Instagram is really what I kind of said. This is going to be the Folly platform. Now, we were on Twitter for a little bit, and all I did every single day until I accidentally got the account blocked was I posted uh, the current weather in Fahrenheit and then the current temperature in degrees Fahrenheit and then said hashtag coffee drinking weather. So that shows you how much effort I put into that. But deciding that Instagram was like the platform for us was a really good decision because early on, you can focus a lot on social media and I was trying to do Twitter and I was trying to do Instagram and I'm trying to do all these different platforms and what I figured out was that like, it's best to do one and focus on that versus having a lot that are okay. And so on the Instagram side, I'm not going to tell you how or what to post. I will say frequency is really important and to make sure that you're being aware of what type of things you're posting about your business. Um, and the way I think about it is that, okay, so for Folly, I want I want it to be approachable, but I don't want to lose focus on the fact that we are focusing on really high-end quality coffees. And so it's a tough balance to keep because if I do too many posts in a row that are just like funny and kind of like, you know, making fun of ourselves or just trying to be something a little cheeky or fun, whatever, if that's all I'm posting, then it loses focus on what we're actually about. But if I'm only posting about us cupping or about the quality of the coffee, you become victim of, of becoming too much like other businesses and you get lost in the noise that's like, that's not fun and exciting to follow. So you got to keep a balance in that. So whatever your small business is about, uh, make sure you, now Again, do as I say, not as I do, because as things have gotten busy, I've noticed that I've gotten a little bit behind on this, but the goal is to post at least once daily on Instagram and try for two to three times a day on stories. Uh, The way stories work is I've noticed posts are becoming less and less valuable, so the feed itself People just over time follow more and more people. And so posts, Instagram chooses what people see 
based on like what they've interacted with or what is most relevant to them. So if, you're, if someone's following hundreds of people and accounts, your post is probably not going to show up unless they really, really follow you closely on all your posts. But stories, if someone follow, if someone watches your story consistently, it literally moves your account to the front of the, your stories. Of so as they're viewing Instagram stories, the more they view your stories, the further front your stories are going to be posted. And the best way to do that is to make sure you're posting stories at least two to three times a day and trying to have it be interesting, engaging content. So first advice in digital marketing, pick one platform that's best for you and focus on that platform solely. Uh, and literally what what we did with Phil Terra is we decided the same thing that like Instagram's our platform, uh, but really social media is not a huge part of the Phil Terra plan, the cold brewed coffees plan, because it's a business to business thing. Uh, and literally what we did there that I highly recommend is if you're like, okay, Instagram's my platform, then you can make a Twitter page that says, so that you have that Twitter domain registered and just have one tweet that says, we don't use Twitter, follow us on Instagram at. So if someone is a Twitter person and they're like, oh man, I tried this coffee, it's great. And they look up the name and it goes to a page. It could, in theory, if we executed it like this, which we didn't, uh, point them to our Instagram page. That's what we did for Filtera. It works out pretty nicely. Uh, and then the nice thing about Instagram is that Facebook owns it. And so it now has the ability that as a business, I can, uh, I just figured this out like a couple months ago, which again, I have no idea what I'm doing, is flipping that Facebook toggle. So as you're posting, you can link your Instagram account to your Facebook business account and that any post you put on Instagram automatically posts on Facebook. And that's a really effective way to build both and not at no additional work. And so the different platforms, what I've found they're best for is Instagram is the best for engaging with people on a daily basis. Uh, Facebook is by far the best for events. Uh, I, I don't think there's any platform that has a better way of creating inv events, inviting people, being able to share it, and uh, being able to track who's going, who's interested. Facebook is really effective for events, but not great for a lot of other things. People don't really engage much on Facebook, especially younger people people uh, are not engaging heavily on Facebook anymore. And then TikTok is a big emerging thing. I have no idea what that is. I think the reason really I use TikTok now for folly as like a video editing platform for Instagram. And so I'll post consistently on TikTok mostly because it's a great video editing tool. And so I use it to edit fun videos post it on TikTok. And then when you post it on TikTok, it automatically saves it to your phone. And then I go over to Instagram and I can use that to post on our stories, to post on our posts. And that's created more fun and engaging content for people to be able to like figure out what we're all about on Folly without much added work. And so you can kind of see how that's how I approach digital marketing in a small business because time is your most precious resource. You need to be very aware of how you're spending it on social media and make sure you don't get too deep into it because it's like, it's very rewarding in the short term because you're like, oh, look at that pretty picture. Oh, I got 100 likes. Yes, yes, likes. But how many sales did that generate? 
And so a lot of the time, the answer is like the not sexy answers. What's going to help the business more that day? Is it going to be create a really cool, moody, like sexy picture and video of coffee? And like, it's going to look cool and it's going to make you feel good. Or is it going to be to leave and go knock on 20 doors that day to see if you can get someone to talk to you about carrying your product? And not to be overlooked, the most valuable digital marketing resources is your email list. It's not even close. Email list is the most valuable thing you can have as a business because you own that list, you have complete control over who gets what, and you can be you can, there's different ways to do email marketing. My personal choice is I get annoyed when I get emails from businesses every day or every week. I'm, it's going to make me not want to check those emails. The strategy I use for Folly is I only email when it's something that's exciting, at least for us, but also hopefully for people who are on our email list. And I will tell you not like this, I'll reference later about how people think, oh, I'm an online business or I'm this or that. Like, I'm not going to do traditional sales or marketing. I'm not going to do in-person stuff because we're not an in-person business. Email list is probably the number one reason why that's not a smart decision. And so I'm going to move on from digital marketing there. Uh, Ironically, what I'm doing right now is technically a form of digital marketing. And wait, Rob, you just said don't do anything. That's a lot of extra work because time is your most valuable resource. Well, the reason I do this is because I actually legitimately enjoy it. One of the things that I've learned is that I always want to continue learning more, but as I get busier, it is harder and harder to learn and research and really like they say teaching is the best way of learning. And so I'm like, look, I enjoy this podcast. I would do it if I had no listeners, which is kind of the case. Uh, But that's why I do this is Ultimately, I enjoy it. It gives me an opportunity to talk to some really cool people and uh, connect with people on a deeper level and to also be able to kind of explore uh, my own thought processes on things and be able to get it recorded. And it's a, it's also a valuable sales resource because over time, as we've uh, generated more and more episodes, people will ask questions and it's happened multiple occasions now where someone will have an in-depth question for me that I can't answer really well on the spot. And I go, Hey, I actually have an entire hour, hour long episode about this if you wanted to. And it's also, this is a great way to generate word of mouth. Uh, there aren't that many coffee podcasts out there. So if you are going to do a podcast, make sure it's something that you're knowledgeable about, you're passionate about. And then at this point, it pretty much has to be some sort of niche. Like, unless you're famous, starting a podcast just to, I see a lot of people starting podcasts are just like, I'm telling you about my life. And you're like, that's cool. If I know you personally, I'll probably listen. But like, unless you're famous or you have an incredible story or yeah, make sure it's a niche. And so this one's coffee and small business. That's a small enough niche that people have found this podcast just by looking up coffee on the various podcast platforms. And I've interacted with a number of people that just say, hey, I just found, I just stumbled upon this and they reach out with questions or it's really cool. Uh, But that's, it's not why I'm doing it in the first place. 
but it could be your number one platform, especially if you are selling something that's kind of hard to wrap your head around, or if you're selling something that not a lot of people have a podcast about. So I would recommend that. That's that was part of the influence that wanted me to start this. I, I looked, I kind of absorbed all the coffee podcasts that existed out there, and I was able to do it in a pretty short amount of time because there weren't that many out there. So I was like, hey, maybe another one would be something people would find value, valuable. And then obviously, like I'm passionate about small business and marketing and all these different things that it takes to run a small business. And I thought that, hey, I've made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot along the way. Hopefully, I can help others avoid that. So podcasting, it's it's a bit saturated and not even a bit. There's like, I think over 700,000 podcasts now. So just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing a podcast because you're like, oh, I want to get famous and I want this to be my job, it's probably not the right reason to do it because then you're just going to like spend too much time on that and not enough time on the actual business. All right. On to the next part. Word of mouth marketing. I cannot stress enough the value of word of mouth. I think too often when it comes to marketing, people try to get too clever. They try to get too cutesy. They try to overthink it and be like, no, I'm super, super smart. I'm going to totally figure out a way to get people to buy my product that someone hasn't thought of. And I'm sorry, Someone's probably thought of it. Someone can probably do it better than you. Uh, and what can no one do better than you? It's like, well, if you have an amazing product with something that's totally different about it to the point where somebody would talk about it with their friends, then you've got something that can really, really work. And I've referred to this in the past that, uh, so like venture capitalist companies, when they're looking at acquiring a business, the number one thing they look for is uh, exponential organic growth. And what that means is that the growth of the business grows at an increasing rate over time. So not linear. It's not increasing the same amount every year. It's increasing more and more each quarter, each month, and it's happening naturally. And what that means is that this is especially important for small business because Natural organic growth means that it's not some huge marketing push. There's not some huge distribution push. There's not a lot of dollars going to a big chain that's causing this huge growth surge. It is growth happening because people are buying the product, telling others about the product, and then those people buy it, and then they tell more. And that's what causes exponential growth. Exponential growth is caused by one person telling their two friends. Their two friends go out and tell their two friends. And then all of a sudden, those, two, uh, those what, four friends? Yeah, it's already more than I have. Those four friends go out and tell their two friends. And over time, if you have a great product, it shouldn't be you that has to be present for someone to want to buy it, which is really hard to achieve. But right off the bat with your business, it kind of does have to be you telling them about the product. And so too often, I think people get, like I said, they get too cutesy. They try to get too clever. Oh, we're going to do this hyper-targeted geographical ad base, this ad base, that. And it's going to be Instagram and Facebook. And I will tell you, like, I did those. I did the Facebook advertising, super geo-targeted, super demographic-targeted. I did Instagram ads where I was able to 
kind of like see the number of impressions and the people reached and the geographic areas that they were in. And the return on investment just isn't there. There is no better return on investment than local activation. And what I mean by local activation is that you're doing something in your local market in person. And so the simplest form of that for us is tastings. We have grocery store partners that love one supplier's sample. And for us, it's valuable because sampling in person is a way to, in a period of three hours, which is our typical sampling time, to talk to 100 people and 100 people to taste the coffee and to tell them why it tastes great, to tell them what we're about. And each interaction is probably going to be about 20 to 30 seconds. But that person walked into that store that day not knowing anything about who you, about your business, about your product. And what I will say about local activation is try to reach people that haven't tried something like your product before. And that might seem weird for a guy that has a coffee company, but the style of coffee we roast, the third wave style, that really light roasted, high-end coffee, lots of bright flavors, lots of really sweet flavors, lots of like, like fermenty, fruity flavors. It, it's Most people have not tried a coffee like that, especially in grocery stores. And so grocery store samplings are really valuable for us because a lot of the time people go, I've never tasted that. I didn't know coffee could taste like that. Or at the simplest form, that's not bitter. I didn't know coffee could be not bitter. And so when you're thinking about local activation and interacting with customers, uh, whether it's a food and beverage and you're literally getting them to taste it, or if it's a product demonstration that you have a product you want to show, or even if you're e-commerce only, if you're a blog, if you are a some sort of app, I don't know, that's really not my world, but if you're an online only business, you should still do quote unquote samplings. You should find places where someone that might be interested in your product would be but have never had exposure to something like your product because those are the people that would be interested in it. And that's how you generate word of mouth. When you are the product that they have not heard of, that they are interested in, that your product is good enough that they go, oh, this is actually cool. And if it's an app, maybe they downloaded it on the spot. If it's a coffee, they buy it while they're in the store. And then they tell their friends about it. I had the best coffee today at the store. It's, I'd never heard, I didn't know coffee could taste like this. If it's an app, hey, I met this guy at, maybe it's a store, maybe it's some event, maybe it's some festival. I met this guy, downloaded this app. It's really cool. You should try it out too. And while you're doing that, have a list out. And again, we're not, we're not as good about this as we should be. But when you're at these, have an email list sign up there. Because that ties back to the most valuable digital resource you can have is that email list. And this is a component of why local activation is an extremely valuable marketing tool. So whether it's as simple as you literally have a table set up with information about your product, if you're if it's a food beverage, they're tasting it, if it's a physical product, they can hold it, they can feel it, they can touch it, they can see it. Uh, if it is a, a, a digital platform, you can demonstrate, you can have screenshots blown up on a poster board and show them how it works and get them to try it on their phone or whatever it may be. Email sign up, uh, email list sign up is a great way to build a customer base and be able to communicate directly about really great sales you're having or new products or big announcements because they're 
far more likely to engage with an email that they've signed up for than you know an Instagram ad that says sponsored under it. And they're like, oh, you're forcing this upon me. And so local activation is the most valuable marketing tool for a non-funded small business because the way I put it is local activation can be as small as a table in a grocery store or a table at wherever someone will allow you to post it at a high traffic area. All right, so let's do a quick thought experiment here. Let's say I have an app and my app is the croissant app. It is an app that all I do is review the best croissants in any area. And I'm starting in the Twin Cities. And so this app, I go to every bakery, every place that sells croissants. I eat that croissant, I review it, and then I put it on the app. So if you're a croissant freak, you can go onto this app, download it, and know where is the best croissant nearest me. Or where's the best croissant, period. I'll drive an hour for a really good croissant. So that's your app idea. Where should I locally activate? Well, a bakery is a good idea, but like that person's already there for a croissant. So what's the value of downloading an app if I'm two feet away from a croissant? It's a good idea because if a person is at a bakery, they are very likely a big fan of pastries. And so you've got a good target market there. So it's not a bad idea. But is there somewhere that's higher traffic than a bakery? Like, hmm, maybe a high-end grocery store. And is there some way you can tie it into that local business? Maybe that local business sells their croissants there. I don't know. Get creative with it. Uh, It's a balance of like high traffic, but also the type of person you're looking for that might be interested in that type of app and make it fun. Like don't just have a table, have something kind of cool or just like have, you know, if if you're a croissant app, buy a bunch of croissants and be like, "Here's, here's my favorite croissant I've had recently. You should try it. And then you can partner with other bakeries. And then if you partner with those bakeries, they'll allow you to hang posters in their bakery and be like, try out the new croissant app. (laughs) So you see see what I'm saying is regardless if you're online only, physical product, if you're food and beverage, find a way to get in front of people and tell them about what you're doing. Try to make it as many people in a short amount of time as possible because you don't want to be sitting there all day and talking to a few people. And then also make sure it's the type of person that would be interested in what you're doing, interested enough, and that your product is developed enough that they will tell someone else about it too. And then start a croissant podcast where all you do is talk with local bakers about croissants. (laughs) No, I want to do that. Does anyone out there know how to develop an app? We need to start developing this app now. Okay, and so local activation can be as small as a sampling or as big as you can afford to throw a party. And so we did something like this last year. Uh, well, okay, so year one, what we did is I was like, okay, I can't afford to pay influencers, but what I can do is send them coffee. Hopefully they post about it. And that was good. It literally just sent free coffee to all these cool micro influencers, big influencers uh, in the Twin Cities. Some people posted about it. But then as a follow-up, I was like, hey, we're going to throw a, like, a local food bev party at a brewery. And so what we did is I went to Lynn Lake Brewery and was like, would it be cool if I rented your space for a couple hours and I'm inviting all the local Twin Cities foodie influencers, and I'm going to be serving cold brew and hot coffee. 
uh, Bradley from Student Nuts. Now Donut Trap is going to be giving out donuts. And then Maza Chutney was there serving some of their amazing chutneys. And then we did a coffee beer on tap. And, and then I also had giveaways. So every person that came got like a Folly Coffee mug and a bag of Folly Coffee. And then obviously all the uh, free food and drink that they, they wanted while they were there. And it, it was a lot of work. But here's why that type of event is important to me. Because if I go out and spend $500 on a traditional print ad, or I go to an influencer and spend $500 for a single post and three story mentions, that lasts, you know, that instant. That ad is done after that week. If I can spend $500 on awesome mugs, uh, enough food and coffee to be able to give away as much as they want to eat, and do it in a way that's fun and engaging. Uh, we had over 40 people show up. We had 40 local influencers show up to this party. And they were all posting about it because it was cool. Like free coffee, free donuts, free chutney, coffee beer on tap. Got this cool mug. And all the founders were there of these three businesses. And Lynn Lake Brewery representatives were there. That's how I look at it. When you're thinking about marketing... When someone approaches you about an ad in a magazine, it's like, hey, this half-page spread is only $1,000 for this really big issue we have going coming up. And I'm like, how could I spend $1,000 on a really, really cool party? And then another really cool event we did last year, kind of along the same vein of thought, was uh, the Midwest Coffee Tasters event, which isn't a Folly event. It's like a Minnesota coffee event. We had over eight roasters last year. We're going to have over 13 roasters this year. Uh, and some people actually asked me, hey, why isn't this a Folly-specific thing? Because I'm the one doing all the work, putting the event to, like, planning it. And then we have amazing volunteers that are helping out just because they're passionate about coffee. And we have different companies sponsoring it. And so it's like, wait, but if Folly isn't the main thing in this, why would you put all this time into it if you're, you already have limited time? Part of it is, one, it's really fun. Like, this event's cool. And honestly, I just really dig coffee. And Minnesota has a lot of amazing roasters. So an opportunity to get a group of Minnesota coffee nerds in one room and be able to have a tasting competition and be able to elevate the competition in the local scene is really good for coffee culture. And it, there's not many times where you get all coffee people in one room and just be able to, like, nerd out and, like, see what everybody's doing and just be able to talk coffee for hours. There's that. But then also... It elevates the entire coffee scene of the Twin Cities, which benefits every single business there. There's enough room in this category that we can all grow. And so I don't look at it as competition of other roasters doing the same level of high-quality coffee. I look at it as, hey, we need to get people drinking this level of quality coffee. I've referenced it in the past. Craft Beer did this really, really well. No craft brewery said, only drink my beer. They said, drink craft beer. And enough people switched from your mass domestics, like your Miller Coors Bud Light, over to craft beer that everybody succeeded. Uh, it's getting crowded now. And now breweries are like, don't drink that craft beer, drink this one. But at the time, that, that whole category grew because of the way they approached that. But uh, the way I, this ties into like a local activation marketing play is, well, I could have gone out and spent my time or money on a big advertising campaign or filming some big video or doing something like that in a more traditional sense. Or we can 
stretch the dollar and go to a bunch of different people and find some sponsors that are also buying into this awesome concept that will also benefit from a great event and say, hey, if we can put together X amount of dollars, if we, I think last year we threw the entire party for like a total of $600 between different sponsors. And then I ended up paying a lot extra <laughs> at the end of it just to make sure we had cool giveaways and mugs and all that stuff. But it was too cool of an event that it was money well spent. Uh, but that event was extremely well attended. And the reason why, I think the best way to throw an event to promote your product is make sure the event isn't only your product because that's not fun. Like too many times people throw events for their product and it's literally like, come to this event, our coffee is there. People are like, I, I live by like eight cafes. I'm not driving out of my way to go to a coffee only event. And so what we did is like, hey, come to this brewery. There's beer here. There's going to be live music here. There's this weird coffee tasting competition going on. But that's not the only. There's also free coffee tastings. And so the best way to do an event is think about would I want to go to that? If I don't know anything about this product, if I don't know the founder personally, if I don't know this person, would I go to that event? And I looked at that I looked at the event we created as a group from the outside in and go, would I go to an event where I could taste eight different coffees from eight different roasters side by side. There's craft beer flights of four different types of coffee beer. There's live music, and there's some competition going on that I've never heard of that I'm curious to see. And it's on a Saturday at 11 a.m., which is late enough that I can sleep in, but early enough that it makes me get out of bed. Yeah, I'd go to that. So when creating events and doing local activation, always try to think about it as a stranger's perspective. If you had never heard of your product, if you had never heard of what you're doing, if you're not even familiar with what the type of product is or what your business is, would you still go to that event? And so try to throw fun events. I think that as a small business, especially early on, is the most effective way in generating word of mouth. I will have a pretty awesome announcement about a really stupid, fun, exciting thing we'll be doing that I think will generate a lot of word of mouth. And maybe not specifically about Folly, but if you'll know who's hosting the thing that people are talking about. So stay tuned for that. I can't announce it yet because I don't want to ruin the surprise. I want to do it in a really fun way. Local activation. Throw cool parties. People show up. Tell them about your product. If it's a great product, if it's the right type of person, boom, that's awesome. And the reason that event worked really well is people who are into craft beer, people who are into like local live music shows, like probably are going to be into the style of coffee we're all roasting. And so that's why it was like a, a win, 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 win for all the eight roasters that came because it's like the core people who would totally be into that coffee. And a lot of people left that day going like, I didn't, first, I didn't know coffees could taste this different because they're tasting all these coffees side by side. But yeah, I'm getting too much into the details of that specific event and less about the, the focus of this episode is local activation is the best way to stretch your dollar as a small business and also know your exact return on investment because you'll know how many people showed up. You'll know how many people you'll talk to. You're likely to be able to track some sort of sales out of that event. You can even create a code for that event. Like 
if it's a, uh, an event specific that you're hosting, you can create a code that, hey, if you attended this event, use this code for X, Y, or Z. Maybe you get a dollar off, maybe you get a free this, maybe you get a free that. And then that, every time that code is entered, uh, you'll know that that sale was generated from that event. So local activation, don't overthink it. Look at it from the outside and go, would I go to that if I wasn't involved in this in any way? Then the last part of this episode is like traditional marketing. All right, Rob, if you're saying traditional marketing doesn't work, then why does it exist? It does work, but it works in very specific situations. And in my opinion, this is completely proportional to your market penetration. So when I say traditional advertising, I mean like billboards, uh, print media, whether it's newspapers, uh, blah, 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 like print media, um, radio is another great uh, traditional platform. Uh, Instagram is actually becoming more of a traditional platform in the sense that like it has enough users that it is becoming a very traditional way to market. Same with Facebook. Traditional marketing becomes effective when one, your business is at a size that you have expendable marketing dollars that you do not necessarily need to know the direct return on investment. You can know impressions, you can know distribution of print media, you can know how many cars pass a billboard a day, but it's nearly impossible to directly equate the spend on those types of media on what you get out of it. And so as a very small business, it's very important to know where your dollars and where your return on investment is because that will guide how you market in the future and where you spend your dollars in the future. Whereas something like a billboard, when you're really small, you might, if you get one billboard and you're really small and that, and you do one billboard and you see a lift in sales, you can pretty much guarantee it's from that one billboard. But over time, if you do multiple billboards or if you do print media and you have different channels of advertising, it becomes more and more difficult to know if it's working and if it's worth the spend which a lot of the times when brand awareness is low and distribution is low, it's not. And so distribution, if you're a traditional consumer packaged good, like I am with coffee, like you know your exact distribution by retail partners throughout your geographic area. Uh, if you're an app, your distribution is like downloads. You know how many people currently have your app downloaded. Uh, and so when traditional marketing works is, like I said, one, you have the dollars to spend on it where you don't necessarily need to have the exact data on return on investment. And then two is that your market penetration is high enough where these ads generate impulse purchases. And here's what I mean by that. This was, I forget who explained this to me, but like it really made me think about traditional advertising differently because Sometimes I look at like Super Bowl ads and I'm like, a million dollars for 30 seconds. How can that possibly be worth it? And isn't there other stuff you could do with a million dollars to be able to like do something way cooler than just like 30 seconds for a Super Bowl ad? And this is how it was explained to me where it made sense. One, the companies that are advertising at the Super Bowl have a ton of marketing dollars. And so a million dollars to them, half of it's almost just like an ego thing. That's like, we have an ad on the Super Bowl. Flex, flex, flex. But the other side is they have enough distribution that an ad will generate impulse purchases. 
So with where Folly's at, you know, about 50 whatever stores around the Twin Cities uh, in like traditional grocery sense, uh, that's not that many stores to generate impulse purchases because the idea behind like a newspaper or a magazine ad or a billboard is that you see it and it, it it's probably not going to make you buy it on the spot, but it's in your head. And then later, if you see that product, you go, oh, yeah, I saw the billboard about that. I think I might buy this because I saw that. Or like if it's a new product and you see a billboard, you might be like, oh, I didn't know that existed. And then when you're in the store and you see it, you might buy it because you were made aware of it. But what it won't do is like you're not going to see a billboard and be like, whoa, new Coke Zero Cherry Vanilla. I'm going to drive out of my way to go find that. But if you see the billboard and you stop at a gas station and then you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, I saw that. It, this reminds me. I'm going to buy this now. It's a really terrible way of explaining it. But your distribution has to be high enough where if they interact with an ad in a newspaper, in a magazine, on a billboard, on Instagram, if they interact with that ad, that at some point that day they will see your product in person if they're out and about. This is changing a bit with the ability to order online quickly and easily, especially with Amazon now doing grocery delivery and uh, pretty much every grocery store here locally has some option to buy online, whether it's like Instacart, that's what like Lunds uses. So you can buy Folly and have it delivered that day with Instacart. Um, but that's how I view traditional advertising. I would focus more on... And this is what I focus more on is how do I get someone in that store to notice our product? And this goes back to package design. How does it look on a shelf and so on and so forth? And so traditional marketing and sponsorships especially become more prevalent when you have really good market penetration. So when you're at a point that you're like, I don't know if we could get more penetration of this market through sales. So I don't know, this, this is not me personally, but I'm just like speaking in the frame of mind of someone with a business with really good distribution. So this is that person. They go, I have done feet on the street sales. I have talked to every customer. We've gotten into every sales channel. We've gotten into every customer that I can possibly imagine through sheer will alone. I don't know that there's more doors that I can knock on to be able to grow our distribution. So at that point, you need to focus on, less on your distribution, which is like your sales push, and you need to mo focus more on your sales pull. How do we generate more of a sales pull? Again, I still think that like in-store samplings, local activation is still the most effective way to do that. But at that point, hopefully you're generating enough revenue where you have a marketing budget that you can start to do more traditional advertising to be able to grow your brand exposure. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. It makes sense in my brain, but... I've been told that the way I explain things in my brain to people does not always translate perfectly. Hmm. But by that's by, by you can notice by that this point that I'm not even talking small business anymore. If you're at the point as a business that even if it's just your local market, so for me, the Twin Cities, if I'm at a point that I'm like, I'm in every single account that I think Folly should be in, I don't think there's any more people that if I went out and knocked on their door that I could get more customers through sheer will, and I need to focus on now how do I get my coffee to sell more in those locations, which is still something we focus on, but it's like a push and pull kind of thing. It, 
if you're at that point, you're probably not really even a small business anymore. You're probably at the point where you're generating enough revenue and dollars that you could probably hire someone to figure out the marketing play. You could probably hire a marketing agency to take care of the traditional marketing. So unless you're a small business owner with expertise in traditional advertising, I say stay out of it until you've got enough money that you can pay someone to do it. And it's the same way I look at like going to the casino. I'm not a big gambler, but if I go to the casino, I go, the only money I will spend on gambling is money that I'm 100% okay with if I lost it all. Because that's probably going to be the case, is you're probably going to lose it all. That's how casinos work. It's how they make money. And so think of it the same way as traditional advertising. This, this is at least how I think it, is that like, hey, if you spent that money and it didn't work, it should not close the doors of your business. It should be non-essential money that you're spending on traditional marketing. Yeah. So that was the third formal part of that. And the, the biggest takeaways here, I think, are like digital, one platform, focus on it the heaviest, build your email, uh, your email list, bring email list signups everywhere with you, urge your family and friends to sign up, urge them to share it just to like, or do a push, hey, sign up for the email list, get some reward. So digital, Focus on one platform, email. Uh, word of mouth, local activation is best. You can keep it very, very simple and do very simple, easy to execute in-person things. You can make it as complex and fun and crazy as you want. The more fun, the better, because people show up to things that are fun. And then the last part is like traditional advertising. I say, as a small business, stay out of it until you have enough money to pay someone that can do it, that knows how to do it really well. And that is nearly an hour for this episode. So I am going to say what I always say and uh, have a good day. <laughs>